BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. It's possibly the most famous piece of orchestral music about an anti-establishment rebel. Richard Strauss's tone poem, Till Eulenspiegel, celebrates a German peasant folk hero, translating his comic misadventures into music of real wit and brilliance. No wonder it's attracted so many fine orchestras and conductors into the recording studio, which is where we come in. I'm Andrew McGregor, presenter of BBC Radio 3's Record Review, and in this podcast edition of Building a Library, composer William Mivel compares recordings of Strauss's tone poem for us, from classic accounts to some of the most recent. And I haven't even given you the full title of the piece before we hear it. to be a law against long titles, especially when the piece lasts no more than 15 minutes. I'm going to try to avoid saying Till Eulenspiegel's Lustiger Streicher for as much of this building a library as I can manage. The translation isn't a great help either, Till Eulenspiegel's Merry Pranks. So I hope you don't feel confused if I just say Eulenspiegel, or, and better still, just Till. If I don't, we might be here all day. We just heard there the Dresden Staatskapelle, conducted by Rudolf Kemper in their justifiably classic recording from 1970. Till is a showpiece, a warhorse of orchestral virtuosity. It's a challenge, a mountain of notes that everyone wants to climb, and often more than once. The innocence and simplicity of the opening idea, however, momentarily hides the sheer rock face that then suddenly appears – with one of the most viciously exposed horn solos in the entire orchestral repertoire. Here are Daniel Barenboim and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, firmly roped together and secure in their footing. Daniel Barenboim and the Chicago Symphony Orchestra in their recording from 1990. The opening of Till is all about telling a story. 
The gentleness of that melody right at the start really does seem to say here, once upon a time. And the solo horn, as it leaps throughout its range against the ringing tremolo in the upper strings, jumps straight in with, there was a joker who broke all the rules. Barenboim and the Chicago Symphony underline this in thick black marker with a dramatic acceleration in the second phrase of that solo that almost nobody else does. Dramatic licence, perhaps. It's certainly not something Strauss did in his own recordings. Here is the composer conducting the Vienna Philharmonic Orchestra in 1944 during his 80th birthday celebrations. First horn players, of course, enjoy a challenge. But the fluff right at the beginning of the horn solo here says everything about the make-or-break athleticism Strauss demands of his players. Richard Strauss conducting a very resonant Vienna Philharmonic and recorded in June 1944, the month of his 80th birthday. Spiegel was actually a real person who lived in the Middle Ages, a joker who made himself a thorn in the side of authority. He was a rebel. Strauss wrote the piece in 1894-95 while fuming after the critical failure of his first opera, Guntram. With this drubbing from the musical authorities ringing in his ears, I've no doubt that Strauss himself dreamt of causing mayhem, of riding a horse at full pelt through the self-satisfied critical and artistic markets of the time. The sweetest revenge will be a musical and orchestral experience of a kind never seen before. His initial thought was to write an opera on the subject, but Eulenspiegel turned instead into a short symphonic poem and one of unprecedented brilliance and technical accomplishment. Here's the opening horn solo again, without any fluffs this time, from Wilhelm Furtwängler and the Berlin Philharmonic and recorded in 1943. After the horn solo, Furtwängler urges the music into an acceleration that feels barely controlled. The full orchestral chords that follow feel randomly and uselessly assertive, and the theme after that crude and not at all what we had been led to expect. For 1895, this is very new territory. It's pure subversion breaking the rules and jettisoning restraint and deference. Thank you. 
Wilhelm Furtwängler and the Berlin Philharmonic in 1943 in extraordinarily vivid sound. This is a time when Strauss was by no means a favourite of the regime and when anti-authoritarian pranks were punished with the harshest penalties. It's amazing playing, but there are places, admittedly not at the opening, where it feels a little held back. Furtwängler must have understood the anti-establishment message of Till its grit in the Vaseline of authority, and perhaps he decided to play just a little bit safe. Designing this opening is a hurdle to all its performers. It's discontinuous, fragmented even, and when it does seem to get going, the banal, the brutal, the parodic and the gently lyrical seem to sit uncomfortably side by side. Herbert von Karajan, in his 1973 recording, also with the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, seek out and find the narrative here, and shape it with enormous confidence. To get a full sense of how they do that, here they are from the very start of the piece and taking us just a little further on. Herbert von Karajan and the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra from 1973. This is skilled storytelling, surprising you with an unexpected or incidental detail, holding back on individual words so that you wait for the full meaning, building tensions through changes of pace and timing. As a result of this attention, the music flows into a hole in which not a single moment feels wasted, unwanted, redundant or unnecessary. Bernard Heitink and the Amsterdam Concertgebouw have a similar command of the detail. It's not as extrovert as Carian. Heitink is especially more cautious with his brass. But the woodwinds of the Amsterdam Concertgebouw are miraculous in their detailing, and the musicianship here is exceptional. Thank you. 
Bernard Heitink and the Amsterdam Concertgebouw, recorded in 1981. Storytelling is the key here. Strauss claimed that there was no detailed scenario, but individual events can just about be made out, even if they get a bit concertinaed in the telling. And they were clearly in Strauss's mind as he wrote the music. The first of those events is Till's ride through a market on horseback, creating panic, scattering stalls, produce and people. Semyon Bichkov, with the West German Radio Symphony Orchestra, meticulously construct the build-up to this act of vandalism. I might be taking this a bit too literally, but first, I'm sure we hear Till pondering his actions, gauging the opportunity and carefully thinking through what he can do to cause the greatest upset. Then suddenly, we feel the change in intention and energy as he thunders into the market, sending everything flying and everyone running for cover. Semyon Bichkov and the SWR Symphony Orchestra of Cologne from their 2007 recording of Strauss's Till Eulenspiegel. Brilliant as they are, and this is a beautifully produced recording, Bichkov and the West Germans are actually a little bit cautious in their painting of the scene here. Ivan Fischer and the Budapest Festival Orchestra from 1990 explore an even greater sense of contrast between the thoughtful and the anarchic. Fisher is able to coax the utmost delicacy and innocence from his players, and, with the help of a deliciously punchy bass clarinet, to then contrast that with a ride through the market that feels terrifyingly violent. Till's ride isn't just an innocent prank. Here it's an assault. The trombone flutter tongues blare out like a dysenteric fart, and everyone ends up spattered in filth. But Till walks away from the scene as if he'd had nothing to do with it. Ivan Fischer, with the Budapest Festival Orchestra in 1990. But forceful and colourful as that is, they get nowhere near the chaos that Leonard Bernstein lets loose with the New York Philharmonic Orchestra in their recording from 1959. 
Bernstein even adds in detail that isn't in Strauss's score. A snap or Bartok pizzicato in the double basses right at the end of the market scene, just before Till rides off into the far distance. It means the string is plucked with so much force that it rebounds against the fingerboard, producing a distinctive crack. This kind of addition is, of course, typical of Bernstein, who would often be far more interested in the spirit of the written score rather than the literal instructions on the page. I don't have any problem with these kinds of intervention, and in any case, the astonishing intelligence of Bernstein's musicianship wins through as we move on to the next target for Till's disruptive attentions, the local clergy. There's a great deal of energy in Bernstein's recording. However, there are some very messy things too. The recorded balance isn't great, with the horns rather too prominent. Also, there is a sense in places that the players of the New York Philharmonic are struggling to keep up with the tempi. It gets really pretty uneven in some of the more technically demanding passages, and whole sections are garbled and confused. If you were listening carefully to that extract, you might also have heard a squeak from one of the clarinets. It's one of those things that happens, but somehow it didn't get edited out. Bernstein, of course, is going for the bigger picture, the overall sweep of the dramatic and musical narrative, whereas Christoph von Dochniani and the Cleveland Orchestra go for moment-to-moment detail. There's some ravishing and acutely characterful playing here, a meticulous sense of where every instrumental line is going, Here they are as Till meets, or if you prefer, mocks the clergy.
Christoph von Dorsignani conducting the Cleveland Orchestra in 1991 with style and class. Many conductors have recorded this work on multiple occasions and with different orchestras. There's another excellent account from Dorsignani with the Philharmonia, and there are multiple recordings from Abado, Scholti, Marzell, Jervi, Celibidaci, Furtwängler, Savalisch, Klemperer, and a number of others, including the composer. Herbert von Karajan was also a serial till recorder, this one dating from 1951 and with the Philharmonia Orchestra of London. The characterization in this early Karajan recording is almost camp in its theatricality. Here, he depicts the church, or the clergy, as being really very satisfied with itself. Talk about smug. Herbert von Karajan with the Philharmonia Orchestra from 1951, transitioning effortlessly from sacred love to secular love-making with the entry of the solo violin. As much a provocation on Strauss's part, perhaps as it was on Eulenspiegel's. Clemens Krauss of the Vienna Philharmonic in 1950 bring this miniature love scene to life with a delicious coyness. Till's jokiness here is tender and seductive and the object of his affection flutters her eyelashes and titters shyly at his advances, and then gives him the elbow. Clemens Krauss, Strauss's son-in-law, and the Vienna Philharmonic, together with the solo violin of legendary Vienna Philharmonic leader Willy Boskowski. 
the breakdown of this attempt to woo through humour and persuasion, and which seems at first to be paying off for our hero, provides the dramatic meat of the musical argument here. Till's entreaties become more demanding as his strategy falters, and the music lurches from attraction to anger. Part of the universality of Strauss's work is the brilliance with which he honestly captures this complexity of feeling in pure music. George Sell, in his 1957 recording with the Cleveland Orchestra, holds nothing back in bringing this to life. The dexterity of the solo violinist here is staggering, and the attention to detail from the rest of the orchestra astonishing. Well prepared barely does it justice. George Sell and the Cleveland Orchestra from 1957. One of the most beautifully prepared and drilled performances I've come across. Every detail in this demanding and convoluted score feels captured here, and there's something forensic in the exactitude with which everything is worked. It's also, overall, one of the fastest performances there is, and yet nowhere does it feel hurried. Others are a little more reserved in their speeds, however. Here are Herbert von Karajan and the Berlin Philharmonic in 1986, overlapping with what we just heard from Sell and the Cleveland. Carrianne is much steadier, cautious even by comparison. In fact, the approach here could hardly be more different. Where Sell is driven and tortured almost, Carrianne is almost resigned, though the brass of the Berlin fill leave in no doubt the rejection and the anger here. Thank you. 
covered from Carrie-Anne and the Berlin Philharmonic in their recording of Till Eulenspiegel from 1986. The frequency with which Carrie-Anne recorded Till gives us something pretty special, effectively a commentary in practice on how his thoughts about the piece changed and developed during his career. The four recordings I've listened to each has something to recommend, and each, in its way, reinvents the piece at least to some extent. There's certainly no sense of routine whatsoever about any of these accounts. Let's take the next section of our little drama, Till's encounter with the academics. In his 1973 recording, Carrion creates an atmosphere of cold intellectual discourse, which Till punctuates with all kinds of absurd arguments that tie our professors in knots of frustration as they fail to find an answer. Well, at least that's how I see it. The forcefulness of the debate is vivid as fists are banged on the table in frustration and intellectual conceit becomes ever more abstruse. Strauss amuses himself, characterising the academics with all kinds of mad bits of counterpoint that go nowhere. And against it all, the bass drum and timpani of arid dialectic hammers everything almost to oblivion. Herbert von Karajan in 1973 with the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra. Rudolf Kemper with the Dresden Staatskapelle from 1970 is every bit as assertive as Karajan in this episode, but somehow manages a great deal of wit in tandem with the rising temperature of the debate. Till's interjections, always marked with his horn theme, have a tongue-in-cheekiness to them here, whereas Karajan tends to be more earnest. And as the arguments reach their anguished climax, Till blows an enormous raspberry and breaks off with a banal little polka a la Johann Strauss. And Kemper's shaping of that moment is the nearest thing to a facetious wiggle of the hips in music I've ever heard. Thank you. 
Rudolf Kemper with the Staatskapelle Dresden recorded in 1970. The range and assurance of everything here is exceptional. Strauss's counterpoint is deftly negotiated. The conversation is dramatic and intense. And then the Viennese confectionery of the nonchalance with which Till walks away, delicious and teasing. Strauss writes for the orchestra in Eulenspiegel with an entirely new and very radical technical agenda. This is a piece that redefined what orchestras could do. Strauss's demands must have come as quite a shock to those first performers of the work in Cologne in 1895. It was certainly at the outer limits of what most orchestral players of the time would ever have thought achievable. Nowadays, it's become something of a rite of passage for any orchestra worth its salt. But that doesn't make it any easier to play. Here's David Zinman with the Zürich Tonhalle Orchestra recorded in 2001, exemplary in their precision. playing there from David Zinman and the Tornhalle Orchestra of Zürich. Ensemble as a whole is staggeringly good, and the recording quality crystal clear. They have to be one of my overall recommendations. The sheer musical wealth of performance and recording history of Strauss's Till Eulenspiegel is almost unprecedented. There are relatively few works which get this level of attention in concert and in the catalogue, but this means that the best recorded performances are of an exceptional standard and that a lot of very high-quality recordings don't make it onto my final shortlist. That final list does include the Zinman, as I've just suggested, an impressive and relatively recent 21st-century account. Rudolf Kemper, too, has to be one of my finalists, though you can safely ignore his 1958 recording of the work with the Berlin Philharmonic Orchestra, good in parts as it is. His 1970 recording, however, is already comfortably a classic, and in the context of the others, we can see why. Kemper's narrative and psychological focus is unerring. And as we approach the climax of the work, with the entirety of this vast orchestra joining in the laughter and hammering out the relentless 6-8 in which Till compulsively taunts and mocks the establishment, Kemper keeps iron control. <laughs> Thank you. 
Rudolf Kemper and the Dresden Staatskapelle. Ivan Fischer and the Budapest Festival Orchestra also make it onto my final shortlist. This live recording from 1990 is vividly dramatic, and the moment when Till is arrested and hauled before the town's massed judges is terrifying in its severity. You really feel that wall of authority into which Till finally slams. The death sentence, when it comes, is of course out of all proportion to the original offence, and I'm reminded of what the playwright Joe Orton said when he was imprisoned for defacing library books. It wasn't, of course, the damage that matters. It was the laughter with which it was carried out that provoked the state's revenge. And in Fisher's Till, gosh, they come down hard. Ivan Fischer and the Budapest Festival Orchestra as Till pays the ultimate penalty for poking a little fun at the establishment. The last addition to my shortlist is George Sell in his 1957 recording with the Cleveland Orchestra. Like the Kemper, this is also a well-established classic, and also like Kemper's 1970 recording, it more than stands the test of time. It, too, is a highly disciplined account of the work, you really feel the orchestra has been drilled through every single bar of the piece. It might be a little colder than the Kemper. Sell perhaps has marginally less sympathy for the character. Or is he just saying at the end, well, you taunt the system and you pays the price. Life goes on without you.
George Sell conducting the Cleveland Orchestra in the epilogue to Strauss's symphonic poem Till Eulenspiegel. It is pretty detached here. There's something slightly ruthless about it, and I guess that's the reason my winner today is Rudolf Kemper and the Dresden Staatskapelle in their 1970 recording. Actually, in the end, and in spite of the sheer volume of recordings, it's a very simple choice, because Kemper here quite simply towers over pretty much all of the others. Where Sell is rigid, Kemper is humane. Where some are daunted by emotional complexity, Kemper blossoms. And where others get tangled up in the warp and weft of its construction, Kemper is set free. And like Till himself, and of course the composer, Kemper and the Dresden Staatskapelle have the very last laugh. So Till Eulenspiegel has the last laugh in Strauss's tone poem. And with that recording, we've come full circle because it was actually the first one we heard as well as the last. Rudolf Kemper's 1970 recording with the Dresden Staatskapelle, a classic for a reason, thinks reviewer William Meivel, which is why it's his overall building a library recommendation, a famous EMI recording which you'll now find on Warner Classics. You'll find details of that recording on the Record Review website alongside some of Bill Meivel's other favourites. And you've been listening to a podcast edition of Building a Library. Next time, Caroline Gill compares recordings of a sacred Baroque masterpiece, Vivaldi's Gloria. Why not listen live? You can if you join me, Andrew McGregor, for Record Review, Saturday mornings from 9 on BBC Radio 3. We're on FM, online and on BBC Sounds. And if you've enjoyed the podcast, you can discover much more music, radio and podcasts on BBC Sounds. This is a download from the BBC. For more information and for terms of use, go to bbc.co.uk slash radio 3.